0: Before Jesus' bloody death on the cross, he gathered his disciples together uh, to celebrate uh, a Jewish holiday known as Passover. They went into uh, a room upstairs in in a home, uh, and they shared that sacred meal together. After that meal, Jesus got down and he washed the disciples' feet in a display uh, that that he was the servant king, um, and he was preparing himself and getting ready to go to the cross, to die in our place for our sins. He had begun that journey um, when he was born, uh, had began to focus on that journey uh, for the last three years. He was headed towards the cross. That's where he was going. And so he has this meal, shares this meal with the disciples, and he's getting ready to go. He knows where he is headed. He knows that he is going to take the sin of the entire world onto himself. He knows that the full wrath of God is coming for him, and he is going to feel the weight of that as he hangs on the cross. But before he does that, he stops and prays. He knows he's going to be abandoned. He knows that he will have to face all of this on his own. And before he He goes down that final road. He stops and prays. The question is, what does he pray? Well, that's recorded for us in John chapter 17. I'll read from verse 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as... You, Father, and I are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me." Jesus, in his final moments, on his way to the cross, growing ever closer and closer and closer to his death, burial, and resurrection, stops and prays. He prayed for his disciples. He prays for the 12, and he says, I pray not only for these, talking about the 12, but I pray for them who would believe through their word. Jesus knew that as he went to the cross and died, that his death would purchase his children, So these disciples then went and preached that message that Jesus has come, Jesus has died, and that through faith in him we can be saved. And through them, that good gospel message has passed down through the ages onto us so that we now believe because of the disciples' message. So here Jesus is praying for who? Us. The the believers in the room, Jesus stops and prays. So what does he pray? He prays that we would be one, that we would be unified together as the body of Christ, as the local church, that we would link arms together on mission, spreading the gospel everywhere, together. That's what he prays. Just listen to how many times he says one, one, one in this. just, Just read it again. I don't ask for these only, but for those who will believe through their word that they all may be one just as you and the father uh, and the father are in me and I in you that they may also be with us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I give them that they may be one even as we are one I and them and you and me that they may be perfectly one this is the the heartbeat of Jesus as he's nearing the cross he's he's praying I want my church to be unified and one Incredible, incredible. What is the model for this oneness? Did you see that? He stops and prays, I want them to be one, but then he, he is showing that there is a model for this oneness. I want them to be one, Father, like we are one. The model for Christian unity, the model for unity within the local church is the Trinity, the Trinitarian Godhead. Okay? That, that word Trinity means tri-unity. The, the, the Godhead, the, the Trinitarian Godhead is unified. Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? Uh, that each person is fully God, yet there is one God. That is the mystery, the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. Is it too early for doctrine in the sermon? Okay, that is the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. Each person is fully God, yet there is one God. This is Father, Son, Spirit. We believe in the Trinity, and what that is saying is we should be as unified as the Trinity is. So that begs the question, how unified is the Trinity? Very, very unified, okay, inseparable, That's how unified they are. And and so Jesus is saying, I want the the people in the church, the local church, to experience the same closeness, unity, bond that we have, Father. That's that's what I want for for my people that I'm going to the cross to purchase. That's what he's hoping for, okay? So how is this possible? How is that type of unity possible? It's possible because he prays that we would get his glory. Did you see that? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. So so we know the model of our unity now. Now it, it, it's the question of how. Well, we get Jesus' glory. That's a very, very curious question. Are your minds rolling on that? How? What do you mean, Pastor Kurt? We, we get Jesus' glory? Are we to be honored, glorified, and worshiped like him? No, <laughs> no, no. He's Jesus, we're not, okay? So, so what does that mean that, that we get his glory? Well, glad you asked. John chapter 17, we're staying in that chapter. Let's go to verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, okay, so, so the, the Passover meal is over. Um, Jesus is about to pray this prayer. Here, here he goes. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What is he talking about there? If you know about the Gospel of John, who, who is here as we travel through the Gospel of John? Okay, Just a few of you, that was very early on. We went all the way through the Gospel of John, and here's what we saw. All the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus kept saying, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. He gets ready to go to the cross, and he says, My hour has come, here he's talking about glory. What glory, so now let's answer the question, what glory do we get from Jesus? We share in his accomplishments on the cross, meaning this, we are unified by nothing else other than the cross of Jesus Christ. We are not unified in our style, in our songs, in our music, in our building, in our chairs, denominations, none of that. We are unified in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how this local church can be unified and move forward together on the mission that God has sent us out to do when we are unified under the banner of Jesus Christ and nothing else. That is Jesus' hope. And his purpose, did you see that repeated again and again in that prayer? So the world may know and believe. Let me just summarize those few verses. I wrote this summary. I think this is the heart of what Jesus is saying, maybe in words that we understand. Jesus is saying this, Father, I want them to be united like we are, which is possible because I'm giving them something to be united in. My death, which will then drive them to be disciples who make disciples. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Here's another way. Father, I want them to be united like we are, and they can be under the banner of the cross, which is then the catalyst for mission. I think that's what Jesus is praying there in that prayer. So, okay, that's a, that's a massive theological concept. I, I get that. For, for the local church to be unified like the Trinity, that's huge. Practically, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? The, 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 the guy who wakes up in the morning, goes to work, earns the paycheck, comes home, loves and serves his family. The, the, the lady who loves her children, uh, works a job. We're just trying to figure this thing out, okay? We're just trying to get through life. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that every believer is called to be a member of a local church and jump into the life and ministry of that church. That's how we're unified together on Jesus' mission. That's what what that means, okay? Now, the most convincing testimony to the world is a unified local church. I've... Our hearts need to break when we hear about yet another church split. We're talking about this Savior who has come to save the world and, and we're all his children and, you know, and, and, and Harmony Baptist Church decides to split and, and form Unity Baptist Church over carpet or, or, or something ridiculous. What type of message does that send to the world? And so what message would be sent if us as a local church, we link arms together, we're unified together as one on Jesus' mission, jumping into life and ministry and loving and serving one another that that sends the message that Jesus is alive, Jesus is real, and he has a purpose for our life. That's what message that sends when the local church is unified. I've been praying all week, Lord Make us unified. What this county, what this country needs is a group of people not caught up on secondary issues or secondary goals, but to be laser beam focused, united, locking arms together, making disciples. Now, can you guys tell I hadn't preached in three weeks? Um, Now, by God's grace, um, I I believe What God has been doing here at this church is unifying us together as a body. I believe Gospel Community Church is a unified church by God's grace. Amen? So here's what we need to know. Unity is fragile. It's very fragile. It takes a long time to get it. And it is lost very quickly. It's a lot like trust, okay? Trust is fragile, unity is fragile, especially in a local church, especially in a smaller congregation like us is incredibly fragile. So what must we do as a local church to continue to fight and strive for unity, the unity that Jesus prayed for? How do, how do we work this out together as a family, as a body? What, what do you need to be doing? What do I need to be doing so that, um, so that we're working together to be unified as a local church. Well, we've been traveling through uh, Acts. Um, our hope is to finish that sometime uh, this summer, God willing. Uh, and what we see today is the Apostle Paul, um, as he approaches the church in Jerusalem, something happens. And, and what, what we see in the text is the Apostle Paul fighting for unity in the local church in Jerusalem. We see him sacrifice greatly. We see him make himself low. We we see him do whatever it takes to preserve and maintain the unity within that local church, okay? So verses 17 through 19, again, we're jumping now to Acts in our text for today. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and the elders were present after greeting them he related one by one the things god had done among the gentiles through his ministry we have been going through the book of acts so we know that this is the end of paul's third missionary journey he has been traveling all around he's been preaching the gospel he's been planting churches he's been training leaders uh, all kinds of crazy stuff have been happening there's been riots and shipwrecks and beat- i mean you guys know everything that's been Going on. So here, Paul finally makes it to Jerusalem. If you remember, he, he was working really hard to make it there uh, by the day of Pentecost. And as soon as they get there on the following day, he goes in to meet with um, the, the local church pastors there. And who is there? Well, James and all the elders. Okay, this is James. If you don't know what, there's lots of Jameses. Okay, this is James, the half brother of Jesus. If you remember uh, back in the Gospels, um, Jesus' brothers came to get, him, uh, to, to get him to stop preaching. They, they thought that he was crazy. They, they did not believe he was who he said he was. And, and so Jesus' family kind of comes to get him and, you know, uh, get him one of those jackets that make you hug yourself and, you know, put him in a padded room. They, they, they thought he was crazy. But then all of a sudden something happens and here James is now the leader of a megachurch. Okay, we'll find out this is a megachurch in Jerusalem. It says that there's thousands of people there. So if you think megachurches are evil, the Bible disagrees. Um, He's there, there is, he is now a megachurch pastor in Jerusalem preaching and teaching Jesus. So, so what was the change? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, saw his brother die and resurrect from the dead. That convinced him. So then he goes on to be a pastor, and he is the leader of this church. The apostle Paul and his band of missionaries they go in to give a report on everything that has happened. Okay, again, uh, he he has preached in Athens, and Corinth, and Ephesus, just to name a few. Um, when he was in Ephesus, you remember the handkerchief thing. Remember Paul's handkerchief thing? Like people were taking Paul's handkerchiefs and like they were getting healed. Um, th- then he goes to, to Troas, and, and, and there was a kid, and he fell out the window, because Paul was preaching a really, really long time. He fell out the window, and Paul went and resurrected him from the dead. You, you guys remember that? So, so yeah, I want you to get this in your mind. As, as Paul and his missionary band go into um, this, this meeting, uh, Paul is recounting all of this. You know, we, we went here, we saw this. This guy got raised back to life. These people got healed. Uh, we planted this church, and then all these leaders kind of came around, and and, and those leaders got trained, and, uh, and then they sent out more churches, and more people heard about Jesus, okay? This is a really good meeting, isn't it? I mean, that, I would like to be in that meeting. Yeah, this is all um, that, that has been happening, okay? Now, if you are James and the guys, what do you do? So there you are sitting. Oh, uh, did you hear Paul's? Oh, yes, we've heard Paul's in town. Oh, we have a meeting today at 1230. He's going to be here. Paul comes in and he just lays it out online. line. Everything that God has accomplished, everything that's been done. And I mean, your, your jaw is on the floor. You're going, this is, this is incredible, Paul. I, here's what I would do. Uh, it's time to declare a holiday. Uh, it is international. Paul is awesome day. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing. There there should be fireworks and confetti. There should be a big party with Paul as the guest of honor. Oh, I know, a parade. Paul riding in a float, uh, you know, right in the center of the parade, sipping a cool drink while servants fan him. Uh, You you know, uh, Christians lining the streets and and kids cheering with Paul is is my hero t-shirt as the men stand and salute Paul as he goes by with one single tear rolling down their cheek. That's what should happen, right? After he tells all that. Let's take a look at what happens. And when they heard it, they glorified God. We're off to a great start. And they said to him, I'm inserting my tone here. And they said to him, you see, brother, uh, you see uh, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may have their heads shaved. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance with the law. I've planted churches, raised up leaders, Uh, multitudes have been saved, Jesus' name and fame is spreading all across the world. Uh, That's great, Paul. We want you to go pay for some guy's haircuts. What? Go pay for some guy's haircuts. Did you not hear what I just said? I mean for haircuts. Are you kidding me? I'm not paying for anybody's haircuts. I'm the apostle Paul. So, so this is very curious. Okay, there's there's some type of vow, there's some haircuts. Uh you know, what's going on in this text? Apparently, international Paul is awesome day has to be put on hold. We begin by seeing James explain that there are thousands, okay? Among the Jews who are who have believed, okay, so these are Christians, they have believed, and they are zealous for the law. Okay? They are zealous for the law, not in the sense that they believe if they follow all the rules, it saves them, okay, because if they believe that, they would not be saved, they wouldn't be believers, okay? but they're zealous for the law in that they love the customs. This is their national heritage um, to, to follow the dietary laws. I mean, they had very strict dietary laws to follow all of the, the customs and the holidays and, and, and to observe circumcision as a, as a rite, showing a covenant with God. I mean, th- this was a part of their national pride and heritage, and they, they loved all that, okay? Th- th- this was uh, what, what they were experiencing. This was their life, Okay, Um, so with all of that said, there is this nasty rumor going around uh, that Paul is preaching against that, that that he's saying, if you follow any of those customs, that's wrong. You should not do that. Okay, you've got to put all of that uh, aside. Okay, so, so let's land that here on us. Just imagine Uh, if a preacher uh, in America said this, okay, you're a Christian now, so get rid of your big trucks. No more hunting, no more fishing, no more NASCAR, no more baseball, no more apple pie, no more hot dogs and fast food, and for heaven's sakes, stop saying the Pledge of Allegiance. We would not like that very much, right? This is America. We like trucks and hot dogs and NASCAR, amen? Amen. Yeah, I mean those are great things, and it's a part of our national heritage, and 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 those things are, are good. And there's nothing inherently sinful about those things, except maybe NASCAR. But <laughs> just can't, it's a joke. It's a joke. There's nothing inherently sinful about those things. And so, for a preacher to say, "Now that you're a Christian, you must stop doing these things that are inherently American," um, we would we would not like that. What would that happen? What would what would happen in the church? Well, would cause disunity wouldn't it we don't want to hear that guy i mean he he's adding a bunch of stuff to the bible we, we don't i mean there's nothing wrong with hot dogs they are delicious so so he, this guy's adding stuff to the bible we don't want him to come to our church and preach and we don't want to associate ourselves with other pastors who line up with him what's happening in the church in jerusalem massive disunity People are arguing back and forth and and some people are saying this thing and some people are saying that thing and Paul's in town and so now the whole church is in an uproar and there's this big issue and so what James is doing is, is, is he is trying to head this thing off at the pass. Now, here's the big question. What was Paul teaching about Jewish customs? Were the rumors true? Was he telling Jewish people not to follow those customs. Well, let's listen to Paul himself. Uh, Here's what we know. Uh, In Acts 16, uh, the apostle Paul has Timothy circumcised, which again, a sign of the Jewish covenant, uh, so that Timothy can minister to Jews. In addition, Acts 18, he himself takes a Jewish vow. Let's listen to Romans, penned by Paul, Romans 14. I'm going to read 1 through 6. Again, are the rumors true? Let's find out. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Not only the one who eats despise, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What is that saying? What, what is the Apostle Paul's? Ta- okay, Paul, what do you say? Jewish customs, good or bad? Here's what the Apostle Paul would say You are free to follow Jewish customs or not follow them. The main point is whatever it is that you're doing, do it for the Lord and don't argue about it. Walk in unity under the banner of Jesus. Again, what is Paul's message of salvation? Paul's message of salvation is this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That that was his message. So what is he telling to the Gentiles? You're saved by grace through faith. That's it. What's he telling to the Jews? You're saved by grace through faith. If you wanna keep doing your customs, great. But guess what? You don't have to because those things don't save you. But I'm not telling you not to do them. That was the Apostle Paul's message. After all, what does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? You guys know this. To the Greeks, I became a Greek. To the Gentiles, I became a To the Jews, I was a... So that, why? So that I became all things to all people that I might save some. That that was his message. His message was not anti-Jewish custom, nor was it pro-Jewish custom. His banner was Jesus Christ. So here we are, the potential result of this terrible rumor. While he is certainly not teaching against Jewish customs, there is a rumor going around, so there is disunity within the, in the church. And James is asking him to do this thing. Okay, what's the solution? They don't want disunity in the church. What's the solution? James says, Hey, brother, um, we need you to go do this vow thing. Okay? That, that's the solution uh, to the problem. Uh, the solution is, Paul, uh, go do something distinctly Jewish so that everyone will know that you're not against Jewish custom. Okay? Again, let's land this in America. This will be fun. For us, it will be, Paul, go to Walmart. Let your kid run around unattended with no shoes on. Watch, watch a baseball game. Get a bald eagle tattoo and complain about the government. After all, it's the American way. <laughs> that, that's what they would have told Paul to do if, if it were here now. But what they do here is tell him to go do something distinctly Jewish, what is this thing that are distinctly Jewish? Apparently, they have four guys here who have taken a Nazarite vow, which makes sense because they're coming up on the day of Pentecost. So, likely, these guys took a 30 or 100 day vow, Nazarite vow, leading up to the day of Pentecost. What is the Nazarite vow? Who is here with us as we preach through Judges? Okay, you remember the three things? No grapes. Okay, they, they, they were making this promise before God, no grapes. Again, that, that would be a big hurdle to jump because the favorite Jewish snack is grapes, and they drank wine. Okay, so, so they were saying, no grapes, nothing from the vine. Number two, nothing dead. So they weren't allowed to touch any dead animals, go to funerals, nothing like that. Nothing dead um, at all. And lastly, no haircuts. Uh, Again, this would be a big deal, especially for the men, because men with long hair in that society were looked down upon. So for them to grow their hair would would have separated them. They've kind of been an outcast, sort of. Um, And so to conclude their vow, here's what would happen. They would go to the temple. Uh, They would purify themselves through through ritual. Uh, Then they would shave their heads. They would take that hair. They would make a burnt offering of the hair that they had grown. They would also offer three additional sacrifices, Uh, a burnt offering, a sin offering, and a peace offering. And that would conclude the vow. Here's what they're asking Paul to do. We want you to go with these guys to the temple. We want you to go through the purification process with them. Then we want you to pay for their haircuts and pay for three animals apiece for each of those four guys. You gotta pay for all that. You gotta do all that to show uh, you're not against Jewish custom. Now, He's got to pay for the haircuts. He's got to pay for all the animals. This is not an inexpensive task, nor is it um, not laborsome on his time to go to the temple, go through all the purification rites, and go through all the sacrifices. But this is what James is asking him to do. Again, if I'm Paul, here's my answer. Pay for haircuts, purify myself? How about no? Again, the rumors aren't true. I, I mean, here, here's the book of Romans. I, I wrote this. You read it, and, and this explains what I think about Jewish customs. The rumors are not true, so why even bother with this? I mean, you just tell them. It's not true. Done. 25 through 26. 26. James is continuing on, but as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Okay, pause right there for a second. Uh, If you remember back in Acts chapter 15, this council had already decided this and made this ruling. Um, The Gentiles do not have to follow all of the Jewish customs, but what do they have to do? Well, they have to stay away from things that are distinctly pagan, which is in that list of stuff. Uh, Distinctly pagan, uh, meaning in pagan ceremonies, they would strangle animals, they would drink blood, uh, they had temple prostitutes, so on and so forth. Um, So they don't have to observe Jewish customs, but they do have to not be pagan. Don't do pagan stuff, really simple, okay? Now, watch this, verse 26. "'Then Paul took them in, and the next day "'he purified himself along with them "'and went into the temple.'" Giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. He does it. James says, hey man, we we need you to do this thing that's distinctly Jewish to show people you're not against Jewish custom. And he says, Okay. Okay, I'll do it. Goes to the temple, purification rites, offers the sacrifices. He does it. This is this is incredible. Okay? Now, here's what I want to do. I want to make three observations about this text. Okay? And then I want to give three imperatives for us as a church. Can we do that? You guys still with me? Tired? Sleepy yet? Okay. Three observations from this text. Number one, Paul kills his pride and sense of entitlement for the sake of the unity of the church. Again, he had come in, explained all these great and wonderful things that, that he had done, and they tell him, uh, you see, brother, we need you to go pay for some haircuts and do this thing. Again, he, what do what you, tell? I'm not going to go do that. I'm the Apostle Paul. You have no idea how many churches I've planted, how many leaders I've raised up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an apostle, you know. You can't tell me what to do. No, he, he kills his pride and his sense of entitlement. Again, does, should the Apostle Paul get a parade? Absolutely but but no, he, he puts aside his sense of entitlement and he goes and obeys the leadership. Here's what pride says. Pride says, I insist on sharing my opinion. Have to. Standing in a group of people, opinion pops into my mind. Guess what? It's coming right out, whether you like it or not. I insist on sharing my opinion. Pride says, I expect to be consulted regarding my opinion." when decisions don't get made, when things happen in the church, uh, when we decide to do this or do that, you go, they didn't ask me. If my opinion is ignored, I will be very angry. So when you do say your opinion and the church leadership or your community group leader or someone else in the church decides to do something different, you're, well, they just didn't listen. They just ignored me. I mean, I I explained to them clearly what to do and they didn't do it. And now I'm mad. I shall take my toys and go home. Pride says, I always know a better way to do things. Pride says, it always works out best when I step in and take charge. Entitlement says this. After everything I've done and accomplished, I deserve to be Heard, I am owed this because of who I am and what I've done. I cannot believe I was not thanked. That's entitlement. What Paul does here in this council, he kills his pride, he kills his sense of entitlement, and he says, you know what? You know what's more important than the name of the Apostle Paul? The unity of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's more important. It's more important. It's incredible how he was able to do that. I mean, there he is. What would happen inside of you? What would happen inside of me if I were asked to do such a thing? Jump back in your text. Look at 21, verse 19. Chapter 21, verse 19. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that who had done? He's standing in the middle of the council and they say, we want you to go do this thing And Paul says, no problem, and goes and does it. Why? Because it was not about the apostle Paul. It wasn't about him at all. It was about what God had been doing. God had been saving people. God had been raising up those leaders. God had been planting those churches. God had been performing the miracles with the handkerchiefs. God is the one who, through the apostle Paul, raised that boy back to life. It was all God anyway, so it wasn't a problem at all, because they were unified under the banner of Jesus Christ, not unified under the banner of the name of the Apostle Paul. That's how he was able to walk in such insane humility because it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. It was about Jesus' church. This is what united them, the power of the gospel working in Jerusalem and all over the world. Dear brothers and sisters, we have got to get ourselves out of the way. There, listen. There's so much to be done, there's so, so much to be done. There, there are people outside of these walls who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We live in a city with broken marriages. We live in a city where parents are estranged from their children. We live in a city of people who have addictions, broken homes, broken families, hurting, hopeless people, and they need the gospel. And so what that means is we gotta get ourselves out of the way. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my fame. It's not about people patting me on the back. It's not about people thanking me, acknowledging me. Um, It's about Jesus and his great mission. So I need to get myself out of the way and let's do what needs to be done, amen? Number two, Paul submitted to the leaders for the sake of the unity of the church. Look at verse 23 in this section. Do therefore what we tell you. You think that stung a little bit? You know, uh, I'm the Apostle Paul, and uh, like I was on the road to Damascus. Don't know if you guys have heard this story or not. You know, but Jesus showed up specifically and chose me for His team. You know, because I'm kind of a big deal. D- do you think maybe that that's where my heart would have went? But but here he is, and, and he just, hey, man, you're James. You're Jesus' half-brother. You guys have a council of elders, a council of godly men assembled here, and this is what you're asking me to do for the sake of the unity of the church and for the mission of this church? Hey, I'll, I'll submit and do what the leaders are asking me to do. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Family, the elders of this church are going to make decisions that you don't like. It's going to happen sooner or later. If you stay around here long enough. Listen, the elders of this church are going to make poor decisions. How do I know that? Because I'm one of them. (laughs) I'm going to make... Some bad calls, okay? Um, If you're looking for a perfect church with a perfect pastor, I'm sorry, this is not it, not even close. But, But here is what I commit to do. I commit to making decisions very slow I commit to making decisions not in a vacuum. I'm going to have a team of other godly qualified men around me to help me make those decisions. I'm going to saturate any decision that our leadership team, our elder board makes. I'm going to saturate that decision in prayer. I'm going to saturate it in scripture. So so when we make calls again, we're not making them in a vacuum and we're saying we're doing this for the sake of the mission of Jesus Christ. And and listen, if we if we make a call that, that you're like, I totally disagree with this, come talk to us. Come ask for clarity. Maybe you're right. Maybe we totally missed it and, and you come and talk to us and we go, man, we totally missed that. And and we can repent for that and move on together as brothers and sisters in Christ towards the the mission. So 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 listen, when we make decisions or make calls or make changes, and you disagree with him, don't let a root of bitterness begin to grow because that will eventually come out and it'll create disunity in the church. Instead, come to us, talk to us. And we can, we can move forward together under the banner of Jesus Christ because ultimately we're not united under this leadership alone. What are we ultimately united in? Jesus Christ and his cross. That, I mean, that's the ultimate unity in the church. Number three, Paul paid the price for the sake of the unity of the church. He he pay, he got out his wallet, okay? He was a tent maker. He got out his money, okay? Yep, we're talking everybody. It's okay. Talking about money. Churches aren't supposed to do that, but I'm doing that. He he got out his money and he put it towards the work of unity in that church. Again, the goal wasn't ultimately for Paul to go through this ceremony. The ceremony wasn't the point. The point was creating unity so that more Jewish people in Jerusalem would hear the gospel. That was the point where unity breaks down, the mission breaks down. A church that is not unified can't keep moving the gospel forward because we're bickering and arguing amongst ourselves, So they're saying, hey, we don't want to be bickering and arguing amongst ourselves, so go ahead and do this thing so that we can move the mission forward so more people hear about Jesus. That's the point, isn't it? And Paul said, absolutely. How much is it going to cost me? Four haircuts and 12 animals. Got it. (laughs) What does that mean for us? We need clear signage on this facility. If people don't know what's happening in this building, they don't know what's happening in this building. So so we need clear signage. That's gonna cost over four grand. We need to raise that money so that we can have that. We, uh, as a leadership team, have agreed to support Pete Rennie in Scotland for another six months. So we've committed to over two grand to send to Scotland to plant churches. We need uh, that support. In addition, we need to hire part-time staff, okay? That's an additional $20,000 a year we need to come up with. We have guys right now who want to plant churches, who who want to go through our training process and and be sent out as church planters, which means we need to raise more money to see the gospel continue to go forward. So we need to be unified, link arms together, and say, this is what we're gonna do. We're giving towards this church. We're giving towards this mission because we want to see the gospel go out. We are linking arms in unity, moving forward. Here we go. Now, what does this mean for gospel community church? Those are the three observations I saw in the text. What does this mean for gospel community church? What are the three imperatives for us? Again, I've already stated these. We're restating them. Here's what it means. Number one, We must strive for theological unity. We must strive for theological, what we believe about God. We must work hard to be unified theologically. What is the center of our theology? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the center of our theology. We believe the entire Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, from Genesis to to Revelation, all is about Jesus. That's what we believe. That's the center of our theology, okay? If you want to know a more detailed view of our theology, uh, you can go online and look at our statement of faith that is very intensive and long. If you've been through our new members class, you know we go all the way through that, very detailed, walking through exactly what we believe about these certain things. Why? Because we wanna strive for theological unity. Now, there are a lot of things that are not in that document, That document does not say what our position is uh, about creation, okay? Is it literal six-day or is it, you know, millions of years, okay? Now, I have a position on that, but I'm not willing to argue with you over it. We can walk in unity with Jesus as the center. How about this one? Uh, Our statement of faith says nothing about uh, homeschool or private school, right? Which one should you do? Homeschool, private school, public school? Our paper does not say anything about that. Why? Because uh, we leave that part open. That, that's not the banner that we're uniting under. We're uniting under the banner of Jesus Christ. Our position paper doesn't say anything about tongues, Okay? Uh, again, we have a position on that, but it's not what we're uniting under. We're not uniting under the gifts. We're not uniting under private school, homeschool. We're not uniting under our eschatological position. We're not uniting under any of those things. We're uniting under the banner and the flag of Jesus Christ so that more people hear the gospel, get saved, and become disciples. Okay, Theological unity. Listen, do we debate back and forth about those things? Absolutely. I I would love to stand in the lobby and talk for hours with you about eschatology, okay? Now, I know no one else in here wants to do that, but I'd love to. But the way that we disagree theologically is we disagree like brothers, not like enemies, okay? That's the difference. So we must strive for theological unity. Number two, we must strive for missional unity, okay? There is a mission. What is our mission? To make disciples. You guys getting that yet? I've said it a hundred times. Listen, we are a single issue church. Make disciples. That's it, okay? Uh, Our main focus is not to feed the homeless. Our main focus is not to open up a music venue. Our main focus is not to open up a Christian Counseling Center, while all of those things we may do, they are in service to making disciples. So we're asking this question constantly. How do we get more people to hear the gospel? And then how do we see people grow in that gospel? That, that's, that's the disciple-making plan. People have to hear the gospel, and then people need to grow in the gospel. That, that is discipleship. So that is our main focus. We're constantly asking those questions, coming back to that. How are people hearing the gospel? How are we growing in the gospel? That is our main focus because we are a single-issue church. Now, here's what that means. It means that how we answer that question may change. While our theology never changes, okay, Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's never gonna change. How we get that message out and how we see people then grow, is going to change. I'm just telling you right now, our music is going to change. It's not going to stay the same forever. Our service style uh, is going to change. I'm just So we have to work together, being flexible as the church moves forward. We're not listen, I don't want us to get our heels dug in on specific styles and, and methods of ministry. We dig our heels in on theology and the gospel, but we should be very fluid in how practically that works out here at the church, amen? So we've got to fight for missional unity. How are we gonna get the gospel out there? And then how are we gonna grow people in the gospel who are here? And whatever that takes, we're flexible. Whatever that takes, we're flexible. Number three, we must strive for Relational unity, relational unity. Here's what that means for us. We must engage in the life and ministry of the church. We need every single person that attends to engage in the life and the ministry of the church. If you are not a member here, Uh, We are holding a new members class in October. That would be a great step for you if if you would like to become a member of this church. We would love to have you. We have a new members class coming up in October. We have ministries for you to serve in here at this church. You have been specifically, listen, you have been specifically gifted by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. What are those spiritual gifts for? Edifying yourself? No, for edifying the church. So, So use them. Use them. Listen, think about this. In eternity past, as God was creating you, He gifted you specifically. I get these specific gifts. I'm giving to this person. Why? Because at some point in their life, I'm going to stick them in Gospel Community Church, and I've gifted them in that time, in that season, to use those gifts to glorify me through serving that church. So engage in life and the ministry of this church. Here's what it also means to strive for relational unity. Listen, it means you assume the best about other members of the church until you know otherwise. It means as you're thinking about other members, as you're talking about other members, other people who may attend, you're assuming the best about them, not the worst, until you know otherwise. So when you read a text message from them, Okay, we're getting real practical. When you read a text message from them, you are not inputting ill tone in that text message. Okay? So the text reads, be right back. You read, be right back. God, that was sassy. Maybe it wasn't. You you just did that. You made it sassy. Okay? So, so when we read the, the post on Facebook, I'm reading somebody's mail right now, Anna. Um, when you read the post on Facebook, when you read the text message, you, you're just assuming the best out of that person. You're not assuming the worst. You're not assuming they're being mean or catty or whatever. You just assume the best. That's, they probably didn't mean it, snotty, okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm putting that in that. So, so, so stop that. Ladies. <clears throat> Let's, we'll skip that, we'll skip that. <laughs> Ladies, don't be catty. If we're striving for relational unity here at the church, it means that you're not catty. It means you're not snotty. It means that you're thinking about how you say things to other women in the church because you guys, I love you, are often inherently sensitive. So it means that we must be careful because we want to approach and talk with each other in love. So so don't be catty. Okay? Watch what you say. Think about how you say it. Before you open your mouth, stop and go, nah, I probably shouldn't say that that way. Dudes, men, this one's real simple. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> Here, here's something awful about our culture that we were taught growing up. Okay, We were, we were taught that harshness or hardness equals Masculinity. That's what we were taught. That's what I was taught anyway. Hardness or harshness in word and tone. To pick on, to put down another man raises you up a little bit higher. It makes you cooler. It makes you able to poke your chest out just a little bit further, doesn't it? Okay. Men, we have got to be loving, slow, careful, encouraging. Not always picking and poking and punching and, you know, when are you gonna get a pickup truck? Come on, you've been driving around that piece of junk forever. It's like, okay, I understand. Okay, I can't afford a truck. Shut up, you know? Um, we have to not be jerks to each other, but we are going to strive and fight for relational unity by being courteous, kind, slow to, to engage, right? You guys see what I'm saying here? This is very practical, but we've got to do this as a church, We've got to pay attention to these type of things and strive for relational unity. So let me ask this question. Who do you need to talk to when you leave this service? What bitterness is there? What anger is there? What, what person didn't say hey to you on the way in and it ticked you off? And so now you need to go to them and say hey, I know you didn't mean anything by it. I am implanting something that isn't there at all. I'm sorry, root of bitterness, it's out, okay? Who do you need to talk to when you leave? What bitterness have you been harboring for other members, other people? Let's read some scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love And peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Philippians 1:27. Only let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, amen? I want that to be gospel community church. One faith, one mind standing side by side, arm in arm, contending for the faith of Jesus Christ, amen? So, what are you insisting on or refusing at the expense of the unity of the church? What are you insisting on or refusing at the expense of the church? Listen, I'm done, y'all. Um, Satan, and you guys know when I say I'm done, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Satan wants this church to be all over the place, not unified. Satan and his minions and their schemes are now working okay, to create disunity in this church. I know that because the Bible says we do not war against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against, against darkness. I know that's what Satan wants more than anything. He would love to see uh, this church get caught up in secondary issues and secondary missions, okay, and to see that pull our body apart so that we are not focused on the gospel, getting more people to hear the gospel, and seeing people grow in the gospel. That is what Satan wants, but let me tell you, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ secured our unity on the cross, amen? So there was this problem. The problem was disunity. What created the problem of disunity? Sin created the problem of disunity. We were disjointed, disunified from God. That was the problem. Sin created that problem. What does Jesus do? Well, he shows up on the earth. He lives the life that we should have lived, a life in unity with God the Father. And then he goes to the cross to take on our sin, creating unity between us and him. He is the mediator who put one hand on God the Father and put one hand on us and created that unity and brought us back together so that we might be unified with the creator God of the universe. Then what that unity does between us and God is creates a platform for us to be unified as a church. That's the gospel, friends. There should have been a lot more amens right there. So that is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So my question is, it's already been accomplished. Unity is already there for us. Will we walk in it? Will you fight with me for the unity of Gospel Community Church so that we can be a single issue church fighting to make disciples who make disciples, amen? That's what we wanna see. That's the type of church we wanna be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who went before us in a great show of humility to fight for the sake of the unity of the church. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who shows us what unity is all about. He is unified with you as the Trinitarian Godhead. He secures our unity on the cross. We share in that glory that we have been united back to you, that you save us not just from sin, uh, but you also save us to a community of believers where we are to be united in one mission, one goal, which is to make disciples. Father, I pray right now, send your spirit. Let your spirit fall over this place with a spirit of unity, with a spirit of love. Let new people come into this church and and let it be, Father, that they just can't put their finger on. They don't know what it is, but this place feels like home, and they want to stay, and let that thing that they just can't seem to put their finger on, let that be the spirit of unity that only you can produce. And may we be a church united under the banner of Jesus Christ, making disciples who make disciples. That's our goal, God, because you gave us that charge. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.